The Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne with the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. Picture this, a large colour advertisement put out by Queensland Resources Council and the CFMEU Mining and Energy Division Queensland District Branch, Brisbane, saying, Brisbane is Queensland's biggest mining town, with more than 128,000 full-time resources industry employees. Queensland Resources Sector contributes one new job every 40 minutes. Every Queenslander benefits $100 million in royalty taxes every week that pays for schools, hospitals, roads. Don't sacrifice for all Queenslanders by putting more taxes on the resources industry. This is eerily like the anti-logging campaigns of the late 20th century, where a town in Victoria, Orbost, a town where local shops had signs refusing to serve greenies and men in pubs beat up other men because they had beards, despite being German tourists passing through. This town had a huge billboard leading into the town, Orbost, a timber town. The only problem was there weren't any trees. They were all gone. Just like the timber workers in Victoria, the coal miners in Queensland and the Hunter Valley voted for jobs over the environment. Or was it really a vote for the investors, multinationals, the banks, and finally the destruction of worker conditions, wages growth and insecure jobs? On Stick Together, we have been reporting for a number of years now that it is casualisation, no penalty rates, low wages, privatisation of the public service, automation of services, slashing of jobs, wage theft, phoenixing, increasingly unsafe workplaces that the big end of town has been serving up. In this edition, we listen to a discussion from Thursday Breakfast at 3CR with Mark from Earthworker Workers Cooperative in Morwell, located in the Latrobe Valley, the past capital of coal-fired electricity generation in Australia, now in the throes of change. The topic is, why Earthworker? and why climate change and job generation should mean a new future, not a dark end. But first, some workers' news. In the climate of frustration experienced by Queenslanders over the issues surrounding the Adani Carmichael mine, with latest federal election results showing a huge swing from Labor, implying Queenslanders' support for large mining projects, the projected 10,000 jobs by Adani are now looking more like 1,464 jobs annually, with questions around this figure, as the rise of automation in mining is calculated to cut mining jobs by over 30% by 2030. According to the interactive map on TOT News, While coal-fired power has declined by nearly a quarter in Europe and almost 40% in North America over the past decade, the change has been overwhelmed by a 63% increase in Asia. It is in India that Adani expects to offload its Australian cargo. 
Following the bumper Queensland vote, which seems to indicate a green light to yet another large open cut in Queensland, and the handing over of unlimited access to water for 60 years from the state's underground water resources to Adani in a surprise development, a Chinese company, MacMines, a subsidiary of China's Mininji Energy Group, has suspended its bid for mining leases to develop a large coal mine next door to Adani's proposed operation in Queensland. The China Stone project promised to create thousands of jobs, but the state government says the company has voluntarily not progressed with its mining lease applications. Queensland Deputy Premier Jackie Trad said she hadn't been given the intimate details of the company's decision to discontinue its applications, but I do understand that was a commercial decision, she told ABC Television. Two things to understand about this is that the Chinese economy is actively discontinuing its reliance on coal and that despite the focus on Adani, Queensland is actively licensing coal and fracking sites across the state. News in from the Queensland branch of the MUA, now amalgamated with the CFMMEU, urging Labor to put climate action ahead of coal jobs. Bob Carnegie, Secretary of the Queensland branch of the MUA, said Labor and the union movement must take a stand on climate change for the sake of future generations and that the ALP's new party leader must make its position clear to voters ahead of the next federal election. A split emerged in the Queensland branch of the CFMMEU after its mining division demanded all election candidates sign a pledge in favour of coal mining jobs, while the wider union movement pushed for climate action and a just transition away from coal. The CFMMEU's Queensland Construction Division Secretary, Michael Ravbar, last week attacked the Indian conglomerate Adani's record of using cheap foreign labour, warning the state government risk being taken for a ride by a shonky multinational with a chequered corporate history. The Penn Electronic Newsletter reports that big employer organisations are coming out after the election and telling the Morrison government to make further changes to Fair Work Australia in their favour. Australian Industry Group Chief... Innes Wilcox has said the Fair Work Act needs to be amended to ensure that an employee engaged as a casual and paid as a casual is not entitled to be paid annual leave or other entitlements that casual loadings are paid in lieu of. On the surface, this is about stopping double dipping as if it was a major problem. Double dipping is one of the terms that has been introduced into the discussion by the LNP government. The notion is that uh, after having uh, been found uh, in court that uh, an employee was indeed uh, entitled to these kind of uh, uh, allocations uh, because he was given a job that uh, he could predict what his hours would be for a year in advance meant that in actual fact he wasn't a casual that was what was uh, found uh, before the election. Now the uh, Australian Industry Group is pushing to uh, remove 
this uh, and uh, make it possible for the employers to have it legislatively placed in the Act that the employer can tell when a person's a casual or not so that they don't have to pay any further for the security of the employee. This falls in line with the growing practice of using labour hire firms as a tool to casualise the workforce, says the pen. In the same vein, there is opposition to the restoration of penalty rates. Supporting this is his call for clearer and tighter rules around union right of entry in critical sectors such as construction. This is an old battleground where the Australian Industry Group wants to keep unions out of the workplace. Speaking on behalf of the Australian Mines and Metal Association, its CEO, Steve Knott, has come out to say that the Morrison government has now been given a mandate to reject what he calls the divisive class warfare rhetoric and false characterisation of our workplaces being in need of radical change. The pen counters this with, let's talk a bit of reality here. The Change the Rules campaign was about bringing in a new industrial relations system that essentially takes us back to the old awards system, which despite all its faults, at least gave some more scope for negotiation and provided a little more fairness in terms of income distribution. Change the Rules has also been about opposing the rise in the casualisation of the workforce and the decline of conditions at work, a fairer workplace and raising the capacity of the unions to serve their members. None of this is particularly radical. In context, it means that Stephen Knott is calling for the Morrison government to step up going in the opposite direction. Employers' organisations are backing a move to change the law to provide even greater control over union funds than in the case at present and to make it easier for Fair Work Australia to deregister unions. Despite wages stagnation in Australia, it has just been reported that Australia has 16 extra billionaires this year, taking the total to a record 76, with cardboard and recycling magnate Anthony Pratt again topping the list of the nation's wealthiest. The nation's richest 200 people, as calculated by the Financial Review, held a record $283 billion in wealth, up 21% on last year. It took a personal fortune of $387 million to make the list this year, up significantly from $341 million last year. But the average wealth of Australia's 200 richest people was $1.41 billion. Apartment developer Harry Triggerbuff, $12.8 billion, and Gina Reinhart, $12.7 billion, were just behind Mr Pratt, with Hong Kong-based property magnate Hugh Wing Mao, $9.1 billion, and Westfield Shopping Centre billionaire Frank Lowry, $8.4 billion, rounding out the top five richest Australians. The chief economist at the Australia Institute, Richard Dennis, said, It is no surprise that the number and wealth of billionaires has surged. It's a good time to be a billionaire in Australia, he said. On the back of strong profit growth and frozen real wages, the share of GDP going to wages is at historically low levels, while profit share is at historically high rates. It is little wonder that inequality is on the rise and the biggest winner from all of this are billionaires, whose numbers are rapidly growing.
More than one in five businesses audited by Fair Work across three states have been caught underpaying workers, despite employers being forced to pay back over $580,000 to nearly 1,000 employees. None of these employers have been penalised for wage theft. One of the employers recently accused by workers of wage theft is Melbourne pizza manufacturer Della Rosa. Della Rosa makes pre-made pizzas for major supermarket chains such as Coles and uh, smaller outlets. At least 17 former workers have alleged that Della Rosa paid them a flat rate and denied overtime payments, shift loading and public holiday rates. Della Rosa is believed to employ over 400 workers in the Melbourne suburb of Campbellfield, with a large proportion of the employees being young migrants from India, Pakistan, Afghanistan and China. They are now preparing to file a federal court case against Della Rosa and its director. Della Rosa has a culture of exploiting migrant workers from our communities. Workers are unpaid, bullied, harassed and overworked, said National Union of Worker organiser Parine Minard. The law firm Morris Blackburn is assisting the NUW in commencing these proceedings on behalf of these workers and has recently sent a letter of demand to Della Rosa over the rectification of the alleged underpayment of over $600,000. The shock closure of the Fortira milk processing plant at Dennington near Warrnambool in Western Victoria will put 98 local workers out of a job. The factory, previously owned by Nestles and sold to Fonterrar in 2005, has closed after 100 years of history in the area. Fonterra's Australian manager, director René Dendocker, told the ABC the closure of the Dennington factory strengthens the rest of its infrastructure. We have recently invested in Stanhope, its plant in northern Victoria, and we all know that that, and the wonderful thing about that, is we built enormous agility into that site to be able to make different cheeses, he said. National Union of Workers lead organiser Neil Smith said that the closure came as a complete surprise to workers at the factory. The NUW's Victorian branch made this statement. Three key factors have led to the loss of good, secure union jobs. The ongoing drought affecting farmers across the state, the low price paid at supermarkets for milk and the short-term decision from major dairy producers like Fontanera that dropped the milk price for farmers. This has led to huge pressure on farmers and now Fontanera does not have enough milk. A fair share of profits needs to make its way to farmers and workers for the long-term benefit in regional communities. The NUW wants its members to be able to play key roles in planning for future generations. The NUW will contact former Victorian Premier John Brumby, who has been appointed the Independent Chair of the Australian Dairy Plan, with national industry consultation to begin later this month. With 4,000 dairy members in Victoria alone, the NUW must be part of this national consultation, it said. The Transport Workers National Secretary Michael Caine has announced a planned coordinated work stoppage involving 38,000 workers across airports and the road transport industry through coordinated strikes in pursuit of a bigger share of profits from retailers and airlines while negotiating 200 enterprise agreements set to expire next year. We won't be pattern bargaining, Mr Caine said. What we will be doing is using the current system to the letter of the law. We make no apologies for this approach. 
Defiant union leaders have vowed to fight hard against any watering down of workers' rights, arguing the Morrison government has no mandate to do so as they prepare to launch a Plan B in pursuit of pay rises. Through carefully lining up the timing of its EBAs, the union has set itself up to mount a de facto industry-wide bargaining process it says is allowed under current law. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Now we have Mark in the studio with us. Thanks so much for coming in, Mark. No worries. Thanks for having me. Um, So we're going to be talking about Earthworker. So straight up, can you just tell us what Earthworker is and what it does? Yep, sure. So Earthworker was started over 20 years ago um, by an alliance between trade unionists and environmentalists. Mm -hmm. And it was looking at... Back then, a whole group of people got together and was trying to work out, um, well, how do we respond to the reality of the climate crisis? And this was over two decades ago now, just as a depressing footnote. Um, um, And um, also, how do we stop um, people with powerful interests wedging the community by using the whole jobs versus environment um, crap, basically, that that whole kind of um, frame. So... Mm -hmm. Um, from there, it's gone through lots of different, uh, like it's looked differently at different times, but eventually what it, the strategy that we landed on was, um, to build a network of worker owned cooperatives in sustainable industries across Australia with sister cooperatives in other parts of the world. And, um, in that way, building up dignified work for, for, for people, um, whilst also ensuring that we're not destroying the planet and also not harming the communities we live in as well. Um, so there's a particular focus with our worker cooperatives on communities that are currently dependent on resource extractive extractive industries like you know coal, timber, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, we've you know, I can talk about where we're at now, but <laughs> that's kind of Earthworker in a nutshell. Yeah. Cool. Maybe you should talk about where Earthworker is at the moment and what's going on <laughs> like with the project. Forecasting your questions. I love it. Um, it's great. So. So where Earthworker is at now? So it's been a long road, but we now have um, we've currently got two operational worker-owned cooperatives, um, and we've got some more emerging. Um, kind of the main, like the flagship uh, worker cooperative is uh, is called Earthworker Energy Manufacturing Cooperative. It's based down in Morwell in Latrobe Valley, so where traditionally the um, coal-fired power industry has been um, based. Um, so we've got a working factory there now, which is. Um, manufacturing solar hot water systems. So um, that that's Earthworker Energy. So that's now that only very recently like became operational in the last few months. Um, and then we also have Red Gum Cleaning Cooperative, which is based more in the northern suburbs in Melbourne. And that is uh, now it's just going gangbusters. So there, that's a it's a cleaning cooperative owned by the workers as well. And they use like green cleaning practices and that kind of thing. But they're and they've just been hiring more and more worker owners because they've got so much work, which is great. Cool. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I was wondering if you could speak to how you came to the decision of the workers' co-ops and kind of a bit more of the politics behind that. Sure. Yep. So why workers' co-ops? I mean, it's 
Okay, there's there's a few different levels. On one level, it's what works. So Mm -hmm. you've got capitalist institutions and organisations which are basically saying we can't respond to the climate crisis. They just do not have the means because their profit, like their main focus has to be profit. And so Mm -hmm. they can't. And actually, Earthworker at one point was trying to partner. This is over a decade ago. It was trying to partner with large capitalist organisations to... Um, do manufacturing of like wind turbines and that kind of stuff. So it'd be union jobs, but a capitalist kind of organization. And before, like just as they were about to sign the deal, the whole the whole capitalist business just went bast um, and it just failed. And and people yeah. realized, well, we can't rely on, on them. Like we have to actually own it. We have to have control. And so workers' co-ops mean that um, we've got control, like the workers own the place and they... They decide what happens democratically. Um, it also means that it can't be well. It's not going to be offshored because they're not going to offshore their own jobs as well. So we be able to keep that democratic control in that way as well. But also, I mean, worker co-ops. Um, I don't know. I could talk a lot about like going on a massive rant about neoliberalism, which I'll, I'll restrain myself from. But I don't mean like little rant on neoliberalism. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> so I mean, basically, you know, we've had now what like. Oh, 30 years or something like that, neoliberalism, mm. we've been marinating it. Like, it's yeah. horrible. And it's like the the consciousness that creates is just toxic, okay? So, like, you've got a situation where with neoliberal institutions, with privatisation, more and more, like, th- that whole project is about reducing people to consumers, right? Like, it's con- it's that's that's our role is, like, we are self-maximising, return-maximising consumers, you know? <laughs> like, that's the, that's the political role of most people except for, like, a few ruling elite kind of thing yeah, yeah. so the, there's no genuine control left in in that with that within that neoliberal project except for like purchasing power which is like what is that <laughs> yeah. so anyway so with it's like how do you respond to that i mean um when you've got that that situation you've got people who are more and more disengaged and you've got a concentration of power as well so what what we're saying, what we're doing is we're part of a broader project. Earthwork is only one project that's working on in this front, but it's about saying how do we create the spaces where people actually are re-engaging and, and able to practice collect that collective decision-making, that other way of being, which is that we all are collectively trying to work out how do we, how do we shape the world, how do we live together and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, the worker co-ops are a democratic space where you can actually do that. You can actually have that... Um, that felt sense and that build up that ability and the skills and the consciousness of people actually um, together work controlling things together making collective decisions. Yeah, um, I'm really appreciating the rant. By the way, <laughs> I think it's great. And one of the reasons, I guess, why I wanted you to come on was because of what happened during the election mm-hmm. and how quite often. No, now it feels like we and we are, you know, in a place now where we're probably not going to take any real action on climate change for a long time, but also that there's alternatives outside of electoral mm. polit- politics to kind of make that happen. Yeah, I'd say it's alongside, all right? So because like yeah. like we're, we're yes, we're, what we're about is well, so there's a lot of stuff with the election which is which is relevant here, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like I yeah. mean refle- reflecting as I'm sure we all have kind of um but um like one thing is that 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 thing of like resource extractive industries, it's such an effective wedge of um like for the Tories, for the Liberals, right? Like they yeah. love it. They love it. They're so happy about it. You know, they're just like 
um, this thing of, you know, being able to say that they're representing blue-collar workers and all this because they're like, oh, let's just keep resource extractive industries up. It's so it's so good for them. And for us, we're saying we need to make sure that we're not leaving behind communities that have traditionally relied on resource extractive industries, all right? Like, we can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, you know, is in a way where we don't just talk about it. We need to show it. Like, there's this thing of how do we build trust, right, with regional communities? How do we build trust with those resource extractive communities? Because they've had a lot of people come in and say a lot of really nice things and then just screw them over, you know? Like in the Latrobe Valley, it's happened a lot. So people are pretty resentful and distrustful. So mm-hmm. we're saying, okay, to, to build a political project which um, is actually has power and actually has momentum, we need to build trust. And one of the ways to do that is to show people rather than tell people. So if you have actually something on the ground, as we do now and more, we have the factory there, people come to the factory, they see it, like, all right, you've got skin in the game, you guys are for real, cool. And people have started getting on board. Like We've got people now at the factory who are working on the floor who are ex-coal work, like we're in the coal industry, right? So that has a real impact, you know, Um and it builds trust and it builds momentum and builds a gravity because we've got something to show. Um, that's one thing. I mean, and as far as, you know, how do we build a, a, like big responses, which we need to, mm-hmm. the, to the situation with climate, part of it is building that trust across communities and building that fabric. And as part of, part of it is building hope as well, like a grounded hope. Like, you know, we've, we said this thing of we've had over 30 years of neoliberalism now, like there is a really diminished sense of what's possible, even amongst, especially amongst the left, I think. We often have a really, like, diminished sense of, like, what we can actually do. And to change that, it's very hard to shift that without um, uh, things that people can touch and feel and see. But when you come, like, you know, I was in a meeting with the, uh, with the folks on the factory floor yes, uh, on Tuesday, and, man, it was so powerful, like, watching those people who are, like, the metal workers and stuff actually making decisions collectively about how to run the factory. I'm like, oh, we can do this, you know. But you need those physical things, I think, to build a grounded hope. Mm-hmm. The last thing just around, like, the electoral stuff, and, like, we, we aren't saying that um, people are going to just do this without... Like, we just have to all build, like, worker co-ops like ourselves completely outside the state. Like, we are pushing hard for the state to um, finance this. And basically, we're pushing hard for the state, especially the Victorian government, because we've got more purchase there, with mm-hmm. um, uh, to actually create what we call public social or public commons partnerships. Like, instead of outsourcing stuff to some capitalist institution we're saying no you you if you're going to outsource it that's fine but you do it to worker cooperatives you do it so it's democratizing rather than just privatizing if that makes sense yeah yeah oh i got a question Mm -hmm. um so what has been the response from the state like what how does how's that been working um look yeah in some ways positive but it's it's very hard to it's it's a new concept it's hard to get people's head, people's head around it but yeah there's there is there is people who see the sanity of this you know that there's people within the the labor government and other parts of even the nationals are behind us parts of the nationals because they do see that even if they disagree with some of like our histories and stuff, you know, like the fact that we're a lot of us like, you know, radical leftists and whatever, that kind of stuff, they see that we're actually doing something that works basically and, and it's actually a way out. And so um, also, I mean, the, the state doesn't want to govern and doesn't want big national. They're saying that to us. We don't want to nationalise and have big centralised things. That's fine. We say, okay, that's fine. But if you're going to outsource, do it to worker cooperatives. And there's this Australia, this thing we're doing down here in little old Melbourne, we're not the only ones doing it. It's happening all over the world. Like there's people who are pushing for this project. Some people are calling it like a re 
project where it's like recreating the commons where you've got um you've got governments who are and councils who are partnering with worker co-ops or other cooperatives to be able to have it so that there's a direct ownership in the community basically yeah